When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Three, two, one. Let's go. What's hot in the strip clubs? Your hosts, the 2016 and 2017 recipients of the Exotic Dancer Publications DJ of the Year Award, Danny Myers and Alon Fong. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, a What's Hot in the Strip Clubs podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. We are found on all major streaming platforms, or you can go to our website, www.whatshotitsc.com. I'm your host, Elon Fong, and today is a uh, sort of uh, chapter three of the Van Halen Chronicles. As you know, if you listen to my interview with Steve Rosen about Eddie Van Halen and his book, Tone Chaser, now we get the other side, uh, the David Lee Roth book. The author is Darren Paltrowitz. Is it Vitz or Wits? Oh, uh, it's like Gwyneth Paltrow with the it's at the end. So Paltrowitz, and you right. got it. No German W then. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he wrote a great book called How David Lee Roth Changed the World, right? And so as my regular listeners should know by now, I'm a diehard Van Halen fanatic. They got me started on my musical journey. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked about my love and passion for Eddie, and now we get to get into the Roth thing a little bit. But let's talk about Darren here for a second. Well, real, real quick, behind the curtain, normally... Uh, we talk to people in the strip club industry or now mm-hmm. we've grown out to strip club adjacent people. Uh, so anyone in the music industry is kind of strip club adjacent. And I know. Well, Emily can Rock, I rudely interrupt you here? Yeah, please. Because strip clubs come up a lot in this book Ooh. because David Lee Roth uh, is, was a regular of crazy girls. I don't think is, I think he was. Mm-hmm. And we have a guy who did the art for one of David Lee Roth's albums. And he's a friend of a friend, John Schley for now a, a major fine artist and i said how do you know dave and they said mutual friend that was an exotic dancer so strip clubs appear a lot billy corgan has an anecdote related to dave so this is not a fish out of water scenario great i like to hear it and i know several of my strip club buddies who met and roth and talked to him and hung out with him in new york city and some of the clubs there so we'll get into all of that i I can't be more excited about this conversation we're on behind the curtain so let's peel the curtain back first let's talk about you mr darren ultrawitz i know you're born and raised in new york you went to school uh got your your degree i assume in journalism or something along those lines right no i I did my under grad studies in communications. I started off elementary ed and communications dual major. And if you really want someone to stop being one to be a teacher, mm-hmm. put them in the student teaching process. That right. happened to my wife as well. Although now my wife later in life might be wanting to become a teacher. Oh. So I started off with that. And then I got my master's in library and information sciences. Wow. So I, I, and I would also imagine having students like, let's say you had David Lee Roth during monkey time uh, as a child. <laughs> 
Uh, we'll get into that as well. So yeah. you became a journalist. You've written for all sorts of major news publications, newspapers, magazines. You have your own podcast called The Pulturecast with Darren Pulterwitz and the DLR. That's David Lee Roth, in case you didn't know, cast about David Lee Roth. He's also a licensed investigator. So he's a PI. So look out, people. I might be sick of him on you guys. I'm the good kind. I do the facts. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's no Pelicano knocking on doors and going through your trash. None of that. None of that. No, no, no. Setting them up with a stripper and then taking pictures of them that look provocative. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm on the computer. I'm, I'm dealing in facts. So I'm, I'm the, the good guy PI. And I didn't mean to rhyme right there. <laughs> you get oh he's it's it's part of journalism or writing i think you tend to rhyme right you gotta yeah what happens it happens <laughs> all right so uh let's start off with this um now my my listeners know how i fell into van halen now obviously not just the book you have a podcast about the man somehow some way in your life you became a van halen fan i'm going to assume yes the whole band not just dave so how did that happen how did van halen enter and blow your mind like it did mine and and change your life <laughs> I think it was the being a sign of the times, being an M- MTV and a radio kid. Originally, before you get all punk rock and metal and into good hip hop, you're a top 40 person. Mm-hmm. And if you were a top 40 person in the 80s, you heard Jump and Panama and Just the Gigolo and all that kind of stuff. And that's your gateway. And then over time, you see Dave's interviews and how hilarious he can be at times. And then once you start playing guitar, you go like, wow, is there anyone better than Eddie Van Halen? Over time, you kind of realize what an anomaly they are, that some bands just have the image or they just have the songs or they just have the music videos or they just have one or two tie-ins with the TV show. But Van Halen really had all of that at a time before anyone else tried to have the whole picture. I was going to say, you know, Van Halen, I hate the whole hairband thing. They know people, they created hair metal. No, man, they lived it. Like the reason they were so great is because they were authentic. They were living it. They weren't fantasizing it. Like I grew up watching Van Halen wanting to be David Lee Roth. And so when I was in a band, I tried to live the life. They just did it naturally. Do you know what I mean? For, for sure. They rudely to rudely interrupt you yet again here. Go ahead. Before them. I mean, what LA scene was there? Quiet Riot. Yes, they were kind of peers because we hear that Randy Rhodes and Eddie were guitar rivals, cross-town rivals. I don't know how true that is because you have people going, no, that was amped up for the Randy documentary. But after Van Halen and Quiet Ride had their success, that's when everyone went, hey, we got to move to L.A. to make it. It's not like there was this metal scene that Van Halen came out of. They, they were the hard rock scene. Yeah, I mean, there was there was punk, but, you know, you go to the 70s, you had the Eagles and all that sort of singer songwriter up in the canyon, right out uh, Laurel Canyon and all that stuff. And then, yeah, uh, the punk scene, you know, with Black Flag and, and suicidal tendencies sort of was erupting as well. And then, oh, yeah, uh, you know, all that. But yeah, Van Halen was the antithesis of all that. And they were so, you know, what made them. They're never been heavy metal to me. They're hard rock because they always had a little disco sheen because of Dave. Dave always had the totally music totally. influences of disco and funk. And, and you know, you can see the James Brown and his performing. You can see, you know, all those influences on his style. Mm-hmm. Just talking about the groove Eddie and Alex laid down. I mean, those guys were not two white dudes just laying down a four, four groove. <laughs> no, they were two half Asian, half white dudes right. like uh, myself. <laughs> like uh my wife like a lot of people there, there there's more of you than not these days uh, right. everyone is is a little bit of everything but in terms of ethnic you know 
David Lee Roth was a Jewish frontman at a time when how many people were outward about being Jewish? Like Kiss was still kind of hiding oh, that yeah. they were Jewish. <laughs> we knew that every stand-up comedian and writer was pretty much Jewish. <laughs> yeah. But they changed their names. Like Milton Berle's real name was not Milton Berle, I don't believe. And right. Mel Brooks's real name is not Mel Brooks. No. That kind of a thing. But David Roth, as he's printed in the original pressing, the first record, became David Lee Roth to make himself a little less Jewish. Yeah, yeah. And, he, you know, he was a sex rock god. I mean, blonde yeah. bombshell, right? Ripped. Dude was ripped. Athletic. Oh, yeah. Kind of, again, the antithesis of your typical rock star at the time. You yeah. know, th- what's fascinating to me about Dave, yes, there's Diamond Dave. Yeah. And what I kind of find annoying and I really respect. Oh, I want to hear this. I want only to got to see Diamond Dave. Like, we know there's a whole human Dave. Yeah. But I, from what I've heard, he's had close friends sign NDAs. Yes. Did not reveal stuff about him. There's been all sorts of rumors and never been married. And far as we know, you know, he, he got the Lloyds of London paternity insurance. So as far as we know, he has no kids or if he did, he paid them off. It's all those things. And And like for me as a podcaster and interviewer, I would love to have an interview with him and talk to, and I've listened to more recent interviews and he, of course, he's a great storyteller, but he kind of sort of answers questions with allegories and anecdotes and yes. metaphors rather than directly answering the question for the most part. Right? No, you're, you're 99% correct. And that was one of the struggles with, with writing a book like this, not that I'm like being self-promotional, but Sometimes it can be tough to figure out where Diamond Dave ends and where the real Dave Lee Roth is. And I think it was harder to tell at the beginning. And now it couldn't be more obvious because the different personalities he has could not be more diametrically opposed. The people who see him backstage, he does not smile. That is an angry dude a lot of the time. And you know, that is not Diamond Dave. I've heard for the most part, a lot of people have bad experiences meeting Dave out in public. Few have been good. Once we get to that part of the book, I'll share some of the stories I've heard. But, sure. you know, to me, it's kind of sad. Like it's same with Eddie. When, when I interviewed Mr. Rosen about Eddie, I said, Do, does he really have any friends? You know, because it's sad. They're lonely people. Part of it is when you become so successful, how can you trust people? Are you just into me because I'm Eddie fucking Van Halen or David Lee Roth? How do I ever know what your motives really are? So if you didn't have those relationships before you made it big, you're always going to be kind of questioning things. I would think even family potentially. Right. So, yeah. And then if you look at that and what I've heard about Dave, did you ever listen to the Debbie Hillman interview? That was a good one. The De- uh, Debbie Millman. Yeah. yeah. Millman, sorry. yeah. That was, um, was that right before COVID? Yes. Yeah. It was like 2019. Yeah. That's the closest I've ever heard him being vulnerable. There's a there's a few. There's a handful, okay. but you raised a really good point. For a dude that's been famous 40, 45 years, when there's only a handful of this is a real human being kind of things, that's weird. Yeah. I, outside of professional wrestling strippers and adult stars, there's not a lot of professions where people don't break character even for interviews. Well, let's let's look at your book. So you didn't really interview Dave directly, correct? In 2003, I did. And that's the beginning source of the whole thing. But I talk about my journey in trying to interview him. And I got really, really close. And since I've written this book, now everyone unloads all their stories on me now that the book is done and out. So it would be (laughs) volume two, man. (laughs) Totally, totally different book had I written it now 
Well, I hope you write a follow-up to it, but let, let's continue. So sure. you, so most of it is just piecing. You, you took your investigator hat on, I'm assuming, and yeah. looked at different stories and interviews, but then you also interviewed people who knew him as best you could, whether it was like, I think Billy Sheehan, I think some of the artists he's worked with, right, Ray Lugier, and so on and so forth, and some other people. You didn't happen to talk to Apollonia, did you? I did not, unfortunately, get Apollonia. But, you know, in, in terms of people I got, I got his EMT instructor, people in every single era of his band, people who dealt okay. with him in the Japan era of his life, people who worked on management teams, people from the PR side. So it's really a balance. It's not like, okay, you spoke to one guy who knew a security guard at one show in Bakersfield. It's not like that. And if I were to uh, redo or do a deluxe version, there's now another 10 to 20 people that I've connected with who know the story who I, I could go to. And then there's other people who are eventually going to go, yeah, I don't care about the NDA anymore. Sue me. I don't care. You know, enough time. <laughs> I don't have any money to give you, Dave. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more or less. <laughs> so in case Dave Lee Roth ever hears this, let me just say, Dave, I am a huge fan. So don't, I hope. Anything I say that's critical is just out of pure love. Just so you just know, say allegedly I'm, I'm, seventeen times, and they can't sue you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Allegedly, yeah. Allegedly. So let's take a quick break here. We'll be right back right after this. This is DJ Mike D with my chum Elon Fong right here on the What's Hot in the Strip Club podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So let's go back. So now, as far as I know, he grew up in Indiana. I don't know. Did you dive into his childhood or any of that? Yes. Or no? Yes. Okay, so cool. I spoke to his cousin who's still with us, Dr. Jack Roth, who's in the Houston area. And he gave me a rundown on the family tree. And he talks about Indiana in his memoir, Crazy from the Heat. Then they moved to Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. I think he did a summer or two in New York City, where his uncle, Manny, who lived into his 90s, ran Cafe Wa, I believe owned it as well. Mm -hmm. Then eventually the family goes out to Pasadena. What Dave does not really talk about in his book so much is how fabulously wealthy he grew up in Pasadena. What some people told me was his dad had patents. He wasn't just an ophthalmologist. Ah. He had patents. So 
That's why the Van Halens were able to rehearse at the man. Okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Those of you who don't know, so Dave grew up in Indiana. I know he had to wear leg braces, kind of like Forrest Gump. Yeah. Uh, one foot leg was shorter. I think his left was shorter than his right. Yeah. Surprisingly, and the he didn't really talk about this stuff in the in Crazy for the Heat, his memoir, but in the interview I heard with Debbie Millman, he was saying that the mom was shockingly sort of the hard, severe parent yeah. Yeah. in his life. The taskmaster if you will uh she was a teacher i believe so he had to read a bunch of stuff from shakespeare to you know tchaikovsky or you know, <laughs> you know all, all these literate things and i mean he's a well-read guy he's a very inquisitive guy about the world yeah obviously from the jungle studs to living in japan to bouncing from new york to la blah blah blah, blah. i'm impressed he just called out the jungle studs like that yeah you know your stuff man oh yeah dude you're going to enjoy this, too. I hope, I hope I actually offer some stuff you didn't know. Maybe. I doubt it, but we'll try. TBD. We'll, we shall yeah, see. TBD, There's TBD, a chance TBD. you do know a lot that I don't know. <laughs> so part of the influence for me was I was in martial arts. I'm half Chinese. And so growing up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in the Midwest, there was a sense of being other, right? Oh, yeah. And Halen, and I definitely connected to Eddie looked like me. You know what I mean? Eddie and Alex, the Asian side, I was like, oh, wait, these guys kind of look familiar, right? And then, but then Roth was what I wanted to be. So what's kind of funny is, I bought into the MTV, you know, spring break, uh, date the hot blonde cheerleader, oversexified version of America that was on MTV. I, in fact, I dropped out of my AP classes in high school so I could be closer to the girls I thought were hot. <laughs> and then look what industry I ended up in the strip club industry. So, like, yeah, well, if I something I did not put in the book that is a hundred percent speaking your your lingo right here is I got to interview Ice T. And I asked him if Van Halen, you know, if he crossed paths, that kind of a thing. And he said when he first moved out to L.A. and he was doing gangster rap and people were kind of friends of his were calling him a poser and they're like going, dude, you know, we see the California girls, David Lee Roth video. That's what L.A. is. That's yeah. what we're around. It's not this gangster stuff. So really, can you think of any bands besides Van Halen and the Beach Boys that portrayed the blondes and the LA thing and the surfing and the party more than anyone else who actually didn't surf and didn't really right. go to the beach at all. I don't think so. So what you're saying is just a common thing that I hear that people just built this whole idea. This is the Holy grail. This is where the gold, the buried treasure is. We got to go to LA. Yeah. I, you know, Van Halen was the epitome of the California sound. When I hear Van Halen, I see California. I see bright sunshine. I see yeah. bikinis. I see beaches. I see bright lights, palm trees, all the stuff, you know, and Amer uh, the world, I believe personally that MTV and our pop culture is what actually ended the Cold War. Everybody in the world wanted to be wearing Jordache jeans, hanging out with Brooke Shields <laughs> or banging Heather Locklear or Heather Thomas or, you know, all these 80s. For the younger people, you have to look all these people up. But <laughs> Tommy Lee dated them all. So, yeah. yeah, Tommy Lee banged them all, of course. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there was a large swatch of the world. That was the pinnacle of American. We, that was the golden. We were the golden city or the golden yeah. country. You know what I mean? Everybody wanted to be us. Okay, let's get back to Roth. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no. On, on, we're talking the same language here. All right. So th th there is a bigger position that Van Halen had in the musical sphere than just hits. And like they were a pop culture force. And Roth was such a big part of that. His showmanship, his physicality on stage. You know, people have criticized his vocals. I have listened to so many bootlegs and CDs of all the live performances I could find. I would go to record shows, shows all around the Midwest to buy these things, right? Yeah. While Roth will never be confused with, you know, Freddie Mercury or Pavarotti or anything, certainly I, I would say up through, fair warning, 
his vocals were a in studio really fucking good and even live he sang way more i think he started buying more into his stage personality around diver down and then in 84 and so he cared less and less for his vocal performance totally. it was more show yeah. on stage okay so we've taken you he was in indiana we talked about his mom is there anything you would like to add about his mom and how that influenced him because he's he's a very serious individual behind the scenes he's the the classic you know the the joker with the cl- crying behind the makeup right or whatever what's yeah. the you know I mean, the tears of a clown thing right yeah. or very happy on stage high energy charismatic but then there's a lot of demons inside agree that are behind all that right agreed and his mother uh supposedly the same way lived a very long life his mother Hmm. and i don't i don't know how true this is so i'm gonna say allegedly but allegedly got thrown out of a lot of senior homes and all that it's like okay we got to put her in another one because she has that roth temper Um. so roth Gets to Pasadena with the family. He has what's monkey time. So let me explain what that is to people yeah. real quick if you don't know his story. So Dave was very hyperactive as a kid. Got himself in all sorts of trouble. And there became what they called monkey time or monkey hour. I can't forget the, the right quote. But where he would just sing and tell jokes in and around the family. I think around dinner or something. And when family was there and just entertain. And so that's what they called monkey hour. He was very hyperactive. Now, the Debbie Millman interview, she mentioned he kind of glossed over it and didn't really answer it. But she said something along the lines of there's been speculation that you're aut- he's autistic or something uh, or on the spectrum. And he never he just kind of kept going. <laughs> but his, so I wanted to go back to the childhood and sort of that era, because he says that was actually very formative. He, he felt he loved Al Jolson mm-hmm. um, as a performer, uh, comedian, singer. Al Jolson's an old performer. Vaudevillian maybe performer. he wore blackface maybe he didn't but uh... right right <laughs> and so Roth picked up on all that and then when he was in California what's funny is even though he came from a wealthy family he says he went to high school on the other side of the tracks with a lot of Latinos and blacks and that's where he learned uh all sorts of influences on his music and dancing too because he loves to dance what do you know about the young Dave and maybe what have you heard about was he on the spectrum was he not sort of what how that shape thinks So my book doesn't delve into these two topics, but I can only deal some hearsay out. And some people who know stuff tell me that he's really trumped up this whole um, other side of the tracks, multicultural upbringing a lot because he's a great storyteller. And you, you notice when he tells stories, he always names people who have Japanese or Latino last names. He's like, and my girlfriend, Susie Katayama, said, yeah, like, wait, what? I don't think interracial dating was so big in 64 myself. (laughs) If you look at, you know, all the flack that John Lennon got from Yoko Ono, L.A. was not as, uh, yes, I was not alive, but L.A. My parents did it, but yeah. Yeah. But was it everywhere? No, it wasn't easy. Certainly. Certainly. Look, anyone post-war II, anyone Asian? Whether you were Japanese or not, they thought you were Japanese, and the Japanese were hated because of yes, Pearl Harbor. internment if, camps. <laughs> yeah. Come if you on. know anything about Asian history, I laugh when people would look at me and go, oh, Chinese, Japanese, what's the difference? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, German, uh, Jewish, you know, Nazi, Jew, what's the difference? Are you kidding me? Like, you know, they had rape camps. Like, they invaded China and burned yeah. it down. Like, you know, everyone in the Asia hates the Japanese because yes. of all the atrocities. Exactly. They yeah, the, it, that's a very interesting thing that people don't realize, that it's like Asia versus Japan. Outside of Asia, everyone loves Japan. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> exactly. 
you, you learn about these little dynamics. So anyway, yeah, with Dave, he likes to do this. And I learned to sing from these people and I learned to dance from these people. And we mixed jungle juice and we made this booze. <laughs> and I'm thinking on, you know, he's not the sociable guy. And I, I say that because when you mention him being on the spectrum, of course, back then, nobody knew what Asperger's or autism or maybe even OCD. People didn't take mental health seriously. Yes, troubled people were forced to see shrinks, but it wasn't like everybody would do hashtag blessed and be forced to do all that. So people right. I know who've worked with him who are younger than Dave, whether it's a little or a lot younger, go, oh, man, he is on the spectrum. That guy does not have friends. He does not know how to talk to people. Uh, You're on his time, and he's going to pay you amazingly because he owns you. Got you it. Know, and then he makes you sign NDAs, which you called out earlier. So does so did Eddie Van Halen and Alex Van Halen, too. People don't really talk about that, and that one goes back to the 90s. Uh, yeah, I never heard that about them. Uh, that's why you don't hear a lot of former Van Halen roadies doing interviews. Ah, yeah, okay. a, a reader of my book told me that one. Okay. Oh, that makes that makes sense. Make sense. That would make sense. I thought it might be loyalty, but usually money trumps loyalty with most people. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so that's why some of the people are happy to go on the record, and other people go. You could say that a person in the room noted right. that in the Van Halen camp. <laughs> yeah. That. That kind of thing happens. So it's this weird thing where I don't want to say he's on the spectrum. He definitely has mental illness. And I think he's briefly mm. addressed that in interviews. I do. A lot of people do. Yeah, most people do. Most people do. But we all have trauma. Sure, sure. But, you know, what I'm getting at is he's not this sociable being that is out to talk to people. He's out to talk to people, talk mm -hmm. at people, but he's not here to have real friendships he's here for transactional relationships that's my really long answer and i apologize okay no 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 it's not long that's actually good while you know the van halen guys michael eddie alex and dave certainly had a shared experience which had to have created some sort of bonds i feel yes. like that's why they kept coming back the much as they hated each other those are your, it's like me and you going to college my best friends were all from college because we all you know from that 18 to 23 age is so impactful and and where you really develop those lifelong friendships so as much as they may have hated each other at some points when it's you against the world you build bonds that are really unbreakable totally. and if you look at early van halen you know they were definitely them against the world they did things from you know Noel monk and get helping them get if, if you believe everything he says, you know, getting control of the merch and, you know, a lot of the stuff that other bands didn't, uh, I got to imagine Dave's always seemed pretty business smart, even as a young guy. And he had the wealthy family to help him. I'm sure they had some financial, some financial knowledge or common sense to apply, help apply to Van Halen. Go ahead. Oh, well, yeah, he did. <laughs> he, he definitely did have that family benefit where his dad bought him the pa system famously and the van halen's rose oh it'd be cheaper to just have him sing than it would be to uh, hire it for, for the pa regularly and then there's a story about that the dad helped hire a motown choreographer to teach him some moves and uh, dave because of his dad had an expense account at the local pharmacy and just just little things like that but the way that dave has rewritten history it's almost like that Steve Martin character in the jerk where he's like, I was a poor black boy. And sure. it's, it's along those lines where Dave talks his jibbity jabbity scatty do yeah. kind of, kind of thing. And you go, 
you grew up in a mansion in Pasadena. It's not you're not the living embodiment of the song Mean Street. That's that's not you. Right. But over time, I guess he's done that enough. And by keeping, you know, an ethnically diverse crew and the little people around and basically making himself the central circus character. In a way, you see enough of that that you don't even question anymore that this is a guy that was, you know, bar mitzvahed. Yeah, but I think yeah. he's pretty worldly. I think knowing what I know about him, he was a risk. He loved adventure. I think he probably put himself in the mean streets to experience it. Maybe not directly, but certainly was hanging around with some shady characters and whatever and got to see it and feel it and and maybe get, you know, you know, in talking about love. I've been to the edge. I've stared and looked down, right? And I think if you look at the jungle stuff, we'll get into his martial arts experience living in Tokyo, living in New York, all over. He, almost like any good writer, loves to observe people, it seems to me. And and that's where he gets a lot of his characters and, and to an and extent. Experience. I mean, you can you can do this whole Oh, he was adventurous. He lived in Japan. And then you can also go, but he lived in an Oakwoods building. So, and he's a multimillionaire. Let's be honest. So, I mean, but but yes. Oakwoods is infamous for being like a, a talent exchange kind of place. Or oh. isn't the LA nickname for Oakwoods the Coke Woods? That's where they put up all oh. the development deal people. Our town here in Long Beach, Long Island, New York, had a built has a building called the Oakwoods. I don't know if it's affiliated, but it's a corporate housing for. Okay. I'm just going to be here for a little while while I'm making a project kind of place. And Dave also loved to vacation the '80s at Club Med. I think he talks about that <laughs> in his book. Yeah. So in other words, it's like I'm going to do something crazy, but it also requires a deposit. Right. Right, right, right. So in other words, it's it's like when you hear that Tom Cruise flies a plane and you go, Paramount Studios is not going to let anything happen to Tom <laughs> Cruise. They're going to have extra safety measures in place to make sure nothing happens to Tom Cruise. Right. When you hear Paul McCartney's just walking around the streets, walking his dog, you you know there has to be a security guard 150 feet away watching with a sniper rifle. Right, right. Well, let, let's do this. Tell me. The Van Halen story has been told to death. What what about what did you discover about the early Van Halen days? Let's say up up to Diver Down that maybe we don't know. Uh, the Dave family lineage through his cousin Jack that his dad wasn't the only doctor professional in the family. It's kind of like a lineage of doctors and lawyers that all kind of pulled themselves up and took care of one another. And, okay. You know, oh, you can't afford to go here. We'll pay it through and you'll eventually get us back and pay it forward to the future Roths. But then it all stopped with Dave and his two sisters, who none of them, as far as I know, married or had kids. Really? And they all did entertainment work. So I think the Roth lineage just ends with Dave and his sisters. So his sisters were in the entertainment industry as well? His sister, uh, one sister has some acting credits. And I think she's a voiceover person or she's done a little bit of it. And then the other sister has a record label that's been super successful i think it's called rockabye baby where yeah okay yeah that's dave's sister no shit yeah oh that's pretty wild hence the strumming with the devil album ah uh, that's not- man some of the choices he's made recently i'm like why the fuck <laughs> i mean follow well, the news dave go go do you be happy but but that same sister is a nutritionist and she helped howard stern out as a client or a friend wow. at one point and it's it's kind of like they're around and they have access to the world, but at the same time, they don't want to be known as Dave's sisters and they are skeptical about people like, are you just pumping me for Dave's stuff? And at the same time, Nathan Roth, Dave's dad, um, mm-hmm. 
left behind some wealth. So it's not like anyone in the Roth family is needing money unless they choose to overspend. Right. So, you know, one of the things I think Dave is really underrated for is, well, two things. Number one is his lyrics, because his lyrics are, in my opinion, super creative. They're not cliched. They're like Sammy Hagar to me, love his voice and all, but he's very journeyman as a lyric writer. That's up for breakfast. That's all you have to look at that song. Right. Ross metaphors or you never know really what they're talking about, but then they click and make sense. He talks the same way he writes as we know. Yeah. He's also underrated as a musician. I, I guess I didn't realize he plays, well, he plays guitar and he always has. So ice cream man is no joke. Like live, he just kind of strums it and does the acoustic thing. But I guess he's done more on the early records than I realized. Like, could this be magic? Good. He played like acoustic on that. Right. And some other stuff yeah. and could actually write. How, do you know any, how much of the melodies he actually came up with? Was it all the vocal melodies? And did he do the, come up with the harmony parts too? I know he wrote all the lyrics, but. The the truth or what he says, because they're very different. Uh, well, he says he, well, originally in most of the interviews, he just says he writes the lyrics. Because he did that, those like ranty, crazy podcasts, which I've picked apart in the last week where he's talking all this bad stuff about Eddie that's super inexcusable and, and Sammy. Like the first time he ever comments on Sammy is last week. And it's, it's horrific what he's saying about Eddie Van Halen and these things. Wow. And he says in there, he goes, me and Eddie wrote every song in Van Halen, every part, you know, that kind of thing. And you go, really? So why is I'll Wait co-written by Michael McDonald? Right. You- I know that story. I've heard that story. Yeah. So the drum part to Hot for Teacher, you you wrote that? Really? You and Eddie wrote that? Interesting. And the intro to 1984, which sounds exactly like a Michael Anthony bass right. solo. Uh, oh, you wrote that too? Interesting, Dave. Uh, you know, as an investigator, I've kind of learned that through listening to a lot of BS artists and attorneys, that if one thing is incorrect in a report, you go to the judge and you go, Your Honor. This is incorrect. So what else is incorrect? Instead of instead of going, well, 98% of this is right, you go, but 2% is wrong. So when he says, me and Eddie wrote everything, and you go, but I'll wait was co-written. You did not write the Hot for Teacher drum part. At, yes, Eddie could play drums, and he played drums before guitar. He did not write that. And you go, the bass, the 1984, again, the title track. That's a similar to a Michael Anthony bass solo. Uh, the intro to Running with the Devil, the bass part, yes, it's just one note. But, but that's the first thing that anyone hears of Van Halen. And I, what are the odds that Eddie wrote that versus Michael Anthony? Right. So I find fault with this whole, like, I write all the harmonies. I write all this. Because as you know, I get more into this book here, you take a song like A Little Ain't Enough. And Robbie Neville tells me, yeah, I wrote that. Dave added lyrics. Sure. He changed it around. But the song that Robbie Neville wrote and gave to Dave was called Living in Luxury. No, but Dave wrote it, right? Right? Right, right, right. 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 He right. wrote it. He writes everything. You know, the story is Eddie would Eddie would write the music. Alex would add his parts or you know, contribute or his ideas. Michael, according to Eddie, supplied nothing, which I don't believe. No one I don't believe that either. Think maybe, yeah, maybe. Eddie wrote the core baseline, but he's going to put his style on it and have ideas. I don't care. You're a musician. I don't care. Even a hired gun is going to do that. So they bring all that to Dave, the almost finished product. And then he creates lyrics based out of that and probably hears, because that's how I wrote. So, you know, we formed our band and did it like Van Halen. We split everything four ways. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
the band for the most part would bring me pretty completed songs and then i would hear counter melodies and and arrangement ideas and let's move this here da, 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 da. and i'd write the lyrics pre- predominantly and occasionally someone would suggest something if they didn't like something i did or whatever right and i kind of see it that way there and with the harmonies you know i mean clearly all four of them sang i mean eddie live is not credited enough for what he added to the background vocals and their sound yeah. uh as that third part in the harmony and so that that's actually a big question for me is who wrote the harmonies because the harmonies are such a big part of their sound and they didn't do, do the same harmonies every song i'm very curious about that we don't have an answer but uh that would be fascinating to find out one day maybe michael will finally open his mouth on his deathbed and tell us what really then we can connect all the dots because you feel like he's switzerland if yeah. he says something that's going to kind of make everybody go oh, okay that's probably not true that's true <laughs> yeah so when i interviewed michael a year and a half or so ago i kept it really positive in mm-hmm. other words i asked about the hot sauces and how good life is and then i shoehorned the two van halen questions in at the end i'm here to plug your hot sauces cool uh, and even that turns out to be interesting now i kind of tried to do that to sammy and then they shut down the van halen questions so some people want to talk about it more than others i think with the harmonies different people did different things i'm not saying that did dave didn't write most of the stuff i'm not i didn't write a lot of the stuff but i think that he got incredibly less prolific and more lazy as time went around so if you look at say the little ain't enough album different songs people said yeah we wrote the song and then dave revised it you look at diver down it's mostly covers how many covers are there in the Van Halen catalog? A lot. In his solo career, too. Exactly. So how many songs did he actually write with Van Halen? 50? Yeah, around there, probably. So Something like that. And then how many songs from in his solo career that are not 50. covers? Probably 50. <laughs> yeah. So that's not that tremendous of an output. Now, he's done so many other creative things, but songwriting to me isn't one of them. Yeah, and obviously he had a great eye for video and just the showmanship. Like he was, he, I know his thumbprints were all over. Real quick, back to the lyrics and melodies. I do know yeah. from what I've read, Ted Templeman was kind of like the fifth Van Halen member because yeah. he really helped shape and keep them focused. He would help Dave with melodies and lyrics to make him fit better. And then if you listen to even the, I just listened to the Unfounded, but the Ted Templeman sessions, which had the early. Yeah demos oh my god they're amazing and the roth vocals are raw like some of the lyrics aren't done it's really cool to listen to but i think that'll give you a better picture of what what's going on you can find that on youtube somewhere i'm sure so and and it's so weird sorry to cut you off again here but how many people discredit ted templeman or don't talk about his importance or don landy yeah oh don is huge everything Yeah, everything. And then, you know, Dave leaves Van Halen and then ultimately he takes Ted Templeman. Van Halen kind of keeps Don uh, Landy kind of, you know, I guess he's iced out for an album or so. It's interesting to see. You mentioned before about Noel Monk and his book and all that. If you notice, neither neither Dave nor the Van Halen camp, when they were kind of drafting like a like a NBA draft kind of thing or a kickball game, we take him, we take him. Right. Nobody took Noel Monk. And so some (laughs) people go. So other people say to me, like, his book is full of gaps or half-truths. And you go, I'm inclined to believe that because yeah. of his lack of an online presence in his later years. And uh, no one, no monk. He had an axe to grind. I mean, let's be honest. You know, 
let's get to the big question from the Roth side of things. And you're in it. Why did Roth leave or was he fired? He was fired without a doubt. Okay. Miscommunication. When he was doing the movie, he wasn't going, I'm going to be a movie star. It's just the Van Halens didn't, they wanted to take a break of sorts because Dave was the only non-tied down member of Van Halen. He wants to see the world. He wants to do stuff. I think that people don't talk enough about the fact that, yes, Dave was going to do a movie and he had just done the crazy from the heat EP. Yes. But you look at what Eddie had done in the years leading up to that. You look at the Starfleet with Brian May, beat it, which he had Mm -hmm. not told Dave that he was doing. Mm -hmm. Valerie Bertinelli movie called The Seduction of Gina. Yep, the Wildlife soundtrack. Yeah, uh, the Nicolette Larson. Nicolette Larson, I was going to say, yeah. Guitar cameo, the Dweezil Zappa single that he helped produce for a teenage Dweezil. Mm -hmm. And he goes, Eddie could do all of that. And then Dave wants to do one thing. It's like, oh, he's just not loyal to us. What? (laughs) Really? That says, when you read, I remember when it all happened. I was 14 and 15 when the breakup happened. This 84 and 85. Yeah. And of course, you couldn't, back then, the news coverage was really not good anyways. So it really wasn't until... Dave's memoir came out that we started getting a little bit. And then you heard like Eddie really talked about it in the press far more than Dave did. I remember through high school, he was always in guitar world mm-hmm. pitching and railing about Dave and what happened and blah, blah, blah. You know, he made me roller skate and you know, and <laughs> all, all the things. Right. Yeah. And then to me, I always sort of sided with Dave. I kind of believed him. I've, I mean, I love both guys, but I don't know him obviously, but it wasn't until Sammy's book came out that you really started going, okay, maybe it wasn't all Dave. I mean, Dave got all the, he's the biggest ego. Eddie had equally as big an ego in a different yes. way. And, yes. and Alex too, because if they were a t- tandem. And, right? and Alex, you know, one thing that we don't talk about is how bad of an alcoholic Ooh. Alex was in the 80s. Yeah. And Dave railed about that in his podcast they put out last week about having to install an industrial size refrigerator to have the two to six cases of beer that Alex is allegedly, allegedly drinking every day. Every night. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about that, Alex is known to have been very involved in the management or running the band, but very quietly. Mm-hmm. We often learn about this one member where we go, what do they do? Right. And then you turn. it turns out they're running all the business. Like Bobby Dahl from Poison, mm-hmm. we're inclined to think he's the most useless member of Poison times 20, but he's running the business in that band. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, that's what it You know, to defend Mike real quick, Mike had boundaries. <laughs> Sorry, Eddie. So, like, he didn't want to be playing music 90 hours a week. You know what I mean? He had a wife. Yeah. He had kids. He had other interests. And so, yeah, he was also intimidated by even bringing up song ideas because of Eddie's prolific nature and Alex and their virtuosos. You know, so I get it. And... Why not be happy with what you're doing? You're getting an equal cut, blah, blah, blah. Everyone seems to be working. Why would I contribute more? Yeah. No, find me a person who's ever said anything bad about Michael Anthony. You can't, except that you can't find it. Nobody. Everyone loves Michael Anthony within good, within reason. You know, sure. could he have been a better songwriter, a better bassist? Yes. But as the human being, everyone still loves Michael Anthony all these years, years later, still married to the same High school sweetheart. <laughs> Again, everyone loves Michael Anthony. Everyone wants to hire Michael Anthony. He guests with people, etc. Now, going back though, 
with with Alex, there is always a chance, and this hasn't been talked about, maybe Alex was tough to deal with in the period where his drinking was bad. Absolutely. And he was in a bad marriage. You hear about in comedy writers' rooms that if the head writer is going through marital strife Oof. or personal problems, then they're going to keep you there longer because they don't want to be home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. So what is there a chance that there's dynamic stuff that we don't know about because there's chemicals and marriages blowing up and financial difficulties? Yes, that that's a very possible thing. So I still don't think we know the full story on why things suck so hard on a personal level for them. Alex, write a book. And oh, by the way, he was married at least three times that I know of during the prime Van Halen years. So, yeah. you know, there's that, there's the alcoholism, the fights with his brother is legendary. Like they got into physical altercations regularly. Yeah. Their life was traumatic from not speaking English when they came to America and being bullied. Uh, yeah. so they were like thick as thieves because it was just the two of them. Right. And music was their way of communicating to people. They weren't good at communicating to others. Fact. Yeah. And to, to piggyback on that whole thing, so there's a whole thing with, was Roth fired or did he quit? Same thing with Sammy Hagar. Was he fired or did he quit? Then Mitch Malloy is in the group secretly doing rehearsals, and he doesn't know that Roth is going to be with them on the VMAs. So am I fired? Then they tell uh, Sass Jordan, hey, you got it if you want it. Uh, okay. Gary Sharon. Did he quit or was he fired? Uh, Sammy comes back in 2004 and he right. does that tour. Did he f get fired or did he quit? Uh, 2007, Roth is back till, you know, 2015-ish. And Eddie's doing interviews saying, yeah, we would do another album, but one of us doesn't like rock and roll. And he throws Dave under the bus and all that. <laughs> so go, maybe they don't ever communicate what they want to the person. They just tell everybody else and assume you could read the air. Right. Well, that's, that's the vibe I get. We'll let people make up their own minds about that. All right. That ends our part one of our interview with Darren Paltrowitz and the book, How David Lee Roth Changed the World. Part two will be coming your way in about two weeks on the Pantheon Podcast Network. You're listening to Behind the Curtain, a What's Hot in the Strip Club podcast found on all major streaming platforms. And you can also check us out at our website, whatshotitsc.com. Thanks for listening to What's Hot in the Strip Clubs with Danny Myers and Alon Fong. Presented by Panda and Strip Joints Music. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.